make bailing okay um, and have a great deal of respect for money um, because uh, and people, money and people. And be nice to people on, on your way out because well, on your way down you might meet them again. <laughs> so. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited today, all across from, all the way from Australia. Um, we've got Adam Hudson, who is very successful in his Amazon education business, does lots of philanthropic work as well. Uh, welcome to the show, Adam. Great to be here, Petra. Thank you for having me. Very excited to have you. So um, give our listeners just a little bit of context around you and what you do. I mean, what are you passionate about at the moment? Yeah, so... Uh, I'm 45 years old. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 20. Um, I have been passionately building businesses for two and a half decades. Um, but I guess what I enjoy now is um, that what brings me the most joy in my business is our, our, our work that we do in, uh, in, in the giving side. We do a lot of stuff up in Indonesia with um, uh, the John Fawcett Foundation. So we donate a bunch of money up there and uh, that gives me a lot of joy. And helping other entrepreneurs now really build businesses that have... Um, uh, a purpose for existing beyond making money. Um, so that's really what we're all about is, is helping entrepreneurs first take care of themselves and their families and then building enterprises that do something good in the world as well. Um, and do you think, because I'm on the entrepreneurial journey, do you think entrepreneurs are born or made? Like what is it that makes an entrepreneur? Yeah, look, that's an interesting one. I, I think it's, um, it's probably a little bit of both. I know uh, in my own life, um, my, a lot of my drive came initially from wanting to do better than my dad because I had a big argument with my dad when I was like 15 years old at home. He said, if you don't like it, you know, you have to go and make your own way in the world. And I said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And then I figured that was my drive when I was in my mid-20s during a Tony Robbins seminar. I thought, that's not really a positive drive. Um, and then I started to think about other reasons. But I don't know, I think for me, it was as soon as I heard the word entrepreneur explain to me what it was, I leaned in and went, that sounds awesome. I want to have agency over my own life. Um, and so I think that's kind of an innate thing in some people. They just have this drive and desire and need to be free in their own, charting their own course. And if that's not in someone, it's pretty hard to find a big enough why to, to continue through the three ring shit show that is entrepreneurship. Right, I'm glad you said that, because it isn't it? Um, but interesting, you said there's, there's like a drive within us, so there's something in just the, 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 how we were born. But equally, you talk about this argument with your, with your dad, and I know I came from, I was raised in a religious cult and um, just had a very alternative background. And I know my driver, probably for the first 10 years, post some of that and post my own rock bottoms, was proving people wrong. Like we weren't, yeah. we didn't have an education. We were, we grew up in communes, that sort of thing. Um, and I was just like, people used to call me, referred to me as the dumb blonde in my family. I would just get all of that. And I'm like, I will show you all that I can be the smartest and the most kind of driven person out there. 
So, so there was a bit of like, I'm going to prove something, but maybe, yeah. maybe because none of my siblings seem to have the same thing, the same like, oh, come hell or high water, I'm going to prove people wrong. And then there was a transition that was kind of slow, but I can see there was like over a year or two where it was like, now I want to transition into fighting for something or moving towards something rather than kind of running away from my past. Um, it seemed like, was it the Tony Robbins event that maybe switched your kind of purpose or what? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think that came a lot later for me. That was just the first time I realized I actually had a pretty negative drive because I started making more money than my dad very early on as an entrepreneur. And I, and I thought, I've got to do some more. I think my maturity as an entrepreneur came much later. Um, but I do agree with you that that's um, drive and it can't, we're all our own unique set of um, messed upness. You know, we've got our own reasons that make our drives what they are. And I like to work with people who have something to prove. And I look for it when I'm hiring people, because if they've got something to prove, if you give them the platform and you wind them up and let them go, it's amazing what they can accomplish. So I think it's actually a real strength that's not really talked about much. So I love that you said that because the whole premise of this podcast is turning your adversity into your advantage. So it's not about getting rid of or hiding in shame or or past stuff that maybe held us back in some way. But when you can sort of flip the switch and and flip it around, you, you you can figure out how all of the adversity and all of those challenges can actually be your edge, uh, not just in the entrepreneurial space, but in life in general. Mm, Yeah, hundred percent. I, you, yeah, all of the best learnings and the best gifts of it all is in the hard stuff usually. There's not a lot of uh, lessons in victory. <laughs> There's mostly lessons in failure. And, uh, yeah, one way or the other, I, I've certainly learned more from failures. It's the old saying, I've made so, I learned so much from my failures, I'm thinking of having a few more, you know. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> and so there's something just around the mindset towards failure or challenges. What, what would you say your mindset is now that you've matured into, you know, who you are as an entrepreneur around failure or challenge when it shows up now? First of all, I have zero fear or um, stigma around failing. Um, now, when I left Australia to go uh, live and work in the US for four or five years, um, Australians have a tendency to um, laugh at you and really want to you know, pull you down when you fail. And I think that's universal a bit in the UK as well. It's in our culture. Um, we, you know, but the Americans, um, if you haven't failed in business and you haven't really given it a good shake yet, you know, they almost don't trust you. It's like in Australia, we have a joke where we say we don't trust people who don't drink because people who don't drink are kind of worried about what they might say when they do. Yeah. Um, and in America, they almost don't trust people who haven't failed because you haven't played a big enough game. If at some point in your career you haven't failed, I know myself, I've invested in companies and I'm very wary to invest in with people who've never lost money before because they just don't have the necessary level of respect for what it takes to, to, to have money to invest because they've never had it themselves. And usually you've only got it because you've lost it at some point and learned that very valuable lesson. Uh, you know, I don't have a stigma about failing. Uh, I would rather fail fast. If I'm going to fail, I'd rather fail quickly. Um, and, um, uh, and yeah, just keep moving. A lot of people don't uh, see it that way. They kind of, um, yeah, they, they, they're really afraid of failure. They think there's this huge stigma about it. And once you overcome that, it will really help you. That's a great mindset shift um, to even be looking for the people who've had that experience. I mean, like, I'm, I've been divorced for the last uh, two years or so. And if I'm dating someone, this is going sidestep, right? 
if I'm dating someone, I'm looking for the perfect like hint of trauma that they've experienced, just for me to like not too much, but but the, the so that so that I know that they're going to have empathy, that they're going to have built character, some maturity, and not just be like a middle of the road kind of average human being. And so I'm kind of looking for that context as well as their ability. Like, what's your mindset around it now? Uh, and and I find that attractive. Somebody who's worked through something and is now still driven or pushing themselves in a healthy way. So, if, right? Yeah. So it's like, who are the people that you want in your life? I want the ones who've, who've kind of been through the war, figured something out and are still, because those are the people that are going to teach me something, right? Rather than the ones that have been maybe protect. And I used to really envy the kids who maybe were protected by their parents and everything was handed to them. And I'm like, oh, fuck's sake. I wish I had parents who just <laughs> did things, right? Because um, mine, mine couldn't and I had to struggle for it myself. And now I'm like, oh my God, that was the best kind of advantage. And having kids now who I've um, kind of worked really hard to make them comfortable. You know how we want to do the things that our parents didn't do. And now I'm like, how can I mess their lives up just a little bit <laughs> so that they, <laughs> they can be good human beings within reason, not like abuse or anything, but like go work <laughs> for them a little bit. Um, so give us a little bit of context. Go right back for, for a minute. You, you gave us a hint about your father, but just give us some, some context to what it was like growing up for you. Like, uh, do you think your, your parents or even the education system kind of prepared you for, for the real world out there? Yeah, look, with my dad, it wasn't that he was a bad dad or anything. It's just a normal clash. I had actually a, a strict Christian upbringing as well. Some would call it a cult. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I grew up in a church that spoke in tongues and did all the hallelujah stuff and, you know, all the Irish guilt in another level. It wasn't Catholic. It was like a Pentecostal deal. Um, so I grew up inside of that environment. And I'm, um, but I grew up with great parents. And my mum was a phenomenal lady who was very caring um, but but I, I was one of those kids that sort of um, started mowing lawns early and, and um, working at McDonald's and delivering newspapers. I always wanted to make money because I, I kind of equated money to having choices. So I was always uh, working hard and mum and dad were relatively supportive, I guess. They weren't entrepreneurs. Um, and my two brothers didn't have the same sort of interest and passion for that. You know, they were sort of more into sport and different things. And... Uh, so, yeah, I, just, I was just a normal middle-class kid, you know, and, but my passion for making money was in me early. And then I, I did my first business. I called a business when somebody at my church said, I want you to introduce, you look like a go-getter, go and talk to this guy. And this guy was in Amway, and that was the first thing I ever heard about being in business. And someone said, you can have your own business. And I said, sign me up, I'm in. And uh, that was my first thing. But the, the one thing I learned from Amway was reading, and, and they gave me some books and said, read these books. And so I read the books and that got me on the personal growth path. And then, uh, you know, it, it all sort of grew from there and lots and lots of lessons and values between then and now. And how were you at school? Like, did you find that that suited you or that it just was too constricting or what was that experience like? I was just, just middle of the road. I was a bit of an ugly duckling when I was growing up. I had these massive teeth. You can see I've got big teeth now, but I, these teeth have been in this head since I was seven. So there's a tiny little head with these massive teeth and uh, bad haircuts. And so I had to develop a good sense of humour and um, learn to make people laugh to avoid being teased. So I developed a good sense of humour and became very good with people early on. Um, and that was a real asset, my ugly duckling status. You know, I, I didn't uh, grow into being remotely 
dateable until I was probably 30 or so, I reckon, looking back at photos. Um, very gangly, dorky, but as a result of that, my personality uh, had to become shining. <laughs> so, so, you know, again, adversity into, um, into an asset. Today, I wouldn't change my smile or my, you know, my wit for anything. You know, I love that. That's, um, that's amazing because that's often the training ground, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. whether for, for good or for bad. Um, so when we think about ad- adversity challenges or, in my experience, rock bottom moments, I'm always curious if we need to have those crash points or in order to be catalysts to push us forward. You talk about the, the sort of uh, disagreement or argue conflict with your dad. Um, when, we talk, when we think about rock bottom or, or crisis points, do, do you resonate with any of those terms within your, your own life? Yeah, several. Several. I, um, I'll tell you about one, which was probably the biggest one. It was in 2008 when the 2008 crash happened. Um, I had a company which was in the finance space. We were doing early, we, we were helping companies to structure themselves to attract early stage investment. So we were kind of the first crowdfunding platform in the world before it was called crowdfunding, except instead of just giving companies money, you actually got shares in the company because we found in Australia, you can do that legally uh, up to a certain level. So we created this very successful business and um, we had just listed it on the stock exchange, myself and my business partner. And I had an eight figure um, stake in the company. Um, I thought I was top of the world. Everything was going great. And then 2008 came, the company had just listed. Um, My shares were in escrow for two years and the share price just just evaporated and so did our business. Nobody wanted to invest in early stage companies. We went from making tons of money every month to almost zero in like two months and um, we had to fire 70% of the workforce and I had to go back and work in the company day to day. I'd stepped out with a new CEO coming in to guide it through the next phase. So I worked for two years for free. I had to sell, I had about five or six houses which I fire sailed to pump the money in to save the company because I had family invested in the business. And I just had my ass handed to me. My ego was just destroyed. And I managed to save the company uh, just to the point where I could exit it three years later. Somebody came in and reinvested and took me out. But um, I found myself in my mid-30s with pretty much broke. I got down to my last $3,000 in savings. And, uh, you know, wind the clock back four years earlier, I was in the eight-figure range in my net worth, king of the world, you know. And so I literally had to start again selling door-to-door, selling a a little business idea that I came up with and selling $300 a month contracts. And so you learn a lot about people. You learn, you know, when you have to fire so many people and then fund it and you find, you know, that old saying, if you want to find out what's in an orange, squeeze it. Um, Because until then you're just guessing. So um, in some people it's orange juice, but in other people it's poison. And, And you really find out who people are when under pressure and who you are under pressure. And so I really learned so much through that. I managed to exit, then move to the US. And then I, I started again with, you know, a few hundred grand that I got in that, um, in that uh, buyout. And, um, and then I built up again and, and, and have replaced all of that and more. So it kind of, it was a huge journey. But I've also struggled even in the second time through in the last se- seven years with anxiety. Uh, at one point, I suffered severe panic attacks. Uh, at one point, I didn't know what it was when it first happened to me. I was living in Los Angeles, running four, four businesses, um, you know, in a new country, just working all the time. And then I thought I was having a heart attack and it turned out I was suffering from acute anxiety and I got vertigo and 
So it took me two years of dealing with that in a very, very real way. I was hospitalized three times from anxiety and panic disorders. So, um, yeah, I've had a lot of experience with um, the stress and the real weight and hardship of entrepreneurship and, and how demanding and taxing it is on you energetically, spiritually, physically. Uh, and it's not talked about much as we all try to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. It's just not something that people talk about that middle ground of, you know, Drug. sacrifice. Yeah. And so you're talking about some of the, the outward symptoms that were showing up. So like panic attacks, anxiety, but I mean, it sounds quite extreme. You landed in hospital. What were some of the thought processes going through your mind at that time when you've taken these, this hit, but somehow you keep pushing forward and doing everything you can to, to save the business? Like, did, did you want to quit? Was it dark? Did you ever get suicidal? Like what was going on in your head? Yeah, no, I, ne I never got suicidal, thankfully. I feel for people who end there. Um, but I, I think the, the true answer is a bit like having kids, right? You're so far in, there's no out, right? There is no other way but through. You know, I'm sure there's days as a mum that you just want throw to throw, throw it all out and just go uh, to Bali and come yeah. back. Just have your eat, pray, love moment. You typically want to go to Bali and just... Yeah, so you just settle for a bottle of wine in the middle. <laughs> for sure. But that's the same in entrepreneurship. You're so far in that there really isn't a way out. When you're really in business, um, the only way sometimes is through. Um, and, and look, honestly, I've, I've played out the scenario many times in my head. It's a bit like in the Matrix where they open the door and Neo's about to get out. She says, do you really want to go down the road? You know what's down there? And he looks down the road and he says, shuts the door and says, let's do this. That's it. You know, you're either a dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore, real entrepreneur or you're just sort of teetering. But there's really no middle ground. There's entrepreneurs, people in jobs that are thinking about being entrepreneurs and there are people that are actually all in. And when you're actually all in, um, it's really hard. I mean, yeah, I want to quit. I want to quit sometimes even now. Um, and I've got all the success that people aspire to have, um, multi-eight-figure businesses, you know, and but they're still just the same shit, different day, you know. So what about the the shame of it. Um, did you keep all of this to yourself, like the internal struggle? Um, or did you have close people that you could actually be totally real with about the struggles that you were facing? Well, earlier in my career, when one of my companies failed, and I've had quite a few fail, only a couple that actually failed, failed as in, you know, um, lost my money and stuff. Others, I just sort of wound up. But one of them was quite public, you know, and I got attacked publicly or shamed publicly when the company was struggling and um, that, that comes with territory when you're doing public companies um, and that's really soul destroying uh, um, you know and uh, unfortunately fortunately that stuff is, is was removed because of uh, legal action but the you know the it's really you learn a lot about yourself when you are humiliated and um, which I was and um, and you learn a lot about what really matters in life and and, uh, and you get this inner strength. You're actually way, way stronger than you think you are um, or people think they are. So I have dealt with shame of it. I haven't really been embarrassed to fail amongst my friends, but I, the only time I've really been embarrassed is when I was lied about in, a, in an article online um, that was later retracted. But that was the only time I've really experienced shame because it was untrue. But other than that, I'm happy to fail in front of people um, and say, well, at least I'm in the ring. <laughs> I'd rather fail publicly than, you know, die, die quietly in a cubicle, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, and so 
you end up in hospital. So I mean, this sounds just, you know, rock bottom to me. You're, you're in hospital several times, you're losing this business. Um, and you, I imagine, don't know if, the, if you're going to find a way out. You're just going through, you're doing exactly what it takes in the day. You can't quite um, visualize whether it's going to work or not. What, what gets you through those next days, weeks from, from hospital, from your worst rock bottom point? Like, how do you hold on? What are the things that you do to begin building yourself to, to success that, that, that you now have? Well, the first time, just when I really hit rock bottom, when I got to that last three grand, I remember looking at Facebook and I saw a friend of mine who had moved to the US years before me and was killing it. You know, he's flying around in his private jet and doing all this. And I'm looking at a $1,000 bank account. Going to have to ask my girlfriend at the time for her parents to lend us money. I mean, how embarrassing at the age of 35 to have to be one step, one phone call from that. I mean, I wanted to kill myself. Not really, but, you know, I was so just inside... Because inside, the architecture was 15 years of entrepreneurship. I had a lot of experience. I was, I'd listed a company and here I was living in this shitty apartment that I had to move to with no money in the bank. So I just, first of all, got very real and went, dude, this is where you are, man. Like you need to go back to square one. You need to get down the gym. You need to get exercising. You need to be reading books. You need to be filling your head relentlessly with positivity. So I went that day and I went to the gym and I got on the treadmill again started running, started lifting weights and, and just started back to the most basic personal growth. You know, uh, Awaken the Giant Within with Tony Robbins, just on the audio and then get podcasts, audio books, anything, 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 because I had stopped doing all that. So I started dumping this massive amount of positivity into my head and um, looking after myself physically and then starting with what I had. I literally had to get a flip chart made out of paper, put, you know, and I went around and started selling this service door to door and I just said dude and the very first day I went it's actually an interesting story I went I had to sell this little service $300 a month for small businesses and I would handle their marketing that's basically it and I knew the area very well that I was going to go on the first day I got out of the car and I walked into the first shop and you know it was a cafe and I had a few people in there so I talked myself out of asking for the owner I went next door and I said oh, I look a little busy I went to the next door and then I started making excuses about you know why that person wouldn't be right or why this one wouldn't be right. And about 10 minutes later, I was sitting back in my car about to drive home and say, you'll come back tomorrow, Adam, and tomorrow's going to be a better day. And then as I was about to drive, I just had this knowing that this was a very, very pivotal moment. You either get out of that freaking car and go back and, and do what you need to do or you go home and you start looking for a job because that is what your options are. And, and I was unemployable. I was completely unemployed. There's no way I could work. So I just took a deep breath and said, Adam, you've got to do this. This is it. This is the moment, the actual moment of rebuilding. And uh, because you've got, no, you've got no money to run ads, you can't buy customers, you have to walk in and get them. And so that was it. I just, I just put one foot in front of the other and I sold the second business I went into. And that day I signed up three. So I had $1,000 a month in income. And I was 36 years old. You know, I was a multimillionaire just a few years before and I had $1,000 a month of income in my life and three grand in the bank. And, um, and from there it snowballed and that business led to me going to the US, led to my animation company, which I built and sold in three and a half years. Um, and, and I made myself a millionaire again in three years. So that's what happened. And so what I'm fascinated by and what I want to highlight to the listeners is your first step really was looking after your body and your mind. There were, like you were backed into a corner, right? And, and we often forget, I mean, I've been on this journey in, of, of entrepreneurship over the last sort of uh, year and a half where I'm, my, my skills of being driven 
which is like push, 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 side hustle, push, job, push, side hustle, like all that stuff. Um, using my brain to get myself out of situations simply wasn't enough anymore when it was all down to me and when I had to sustain the success over a long period of time. And so I started feeling like heart palpitations, like stress symptoms, my skin would break out, like just stuff like that. There were little warning signs that you can't just sit at your laptop 40, like 24 hours a day and expect everything because you think if I want more, I need to work more. It feels like a logical equation. Um, but actually, if you're skipping out on the physical health element, and if you're skipping out on the mindset, positivity, learning uh, from, from people that, who have come before you, you're, it's going to be impossible to sustain. Like your, your body and your mind won't sustain the relentless uh, action, which is what many of us uh, driven people are, are out there doing. So, so, so that's fascinating in itself. And then that pivotal moment. Uh, and I think we, we can all relate to some of them where maybe we didn't do the thing. Maybe it took three times for us to get the point and be like, well, if I'm not doing it, no one will. And hilarious that you talk about being unemployable because you like run uh, multi-million uh, dollar businesses. Um, but actually, if because I, I, I had a crisis maybe four months ago where I was like, fuck it, I'm getting a job. I can't, like my brain, my body, I just can't do this anymore. Um, and I started looking, literally looking on LinkedIn or whatever jobs and I was like, oh my, I, oh my God, like, do I have to sell my soul to like fit into, be shoehorned into somebody else's box of what they think I should be doing? And, and my pattern had been like, I'd work for a year at a place, maybe two years max, and then I'd start feeling claustrophobic because they'd let me innovate and be really excited to have me for like a year or two. And then they'd be like, can we just like stay where we are now? Can we just um, consolidate? And I'd be like, oh my God, I didn't expect this to, to, to be happening. Now, you said that um, we learn about ourselves, so that, that metaphor around the orange, and you don't really know about a person until you've been squeezed. What have you learned about yourself through, through this journey? What, what have you learned? Because I imagine you didn't always do the, the right thing like that moment kind of um, describes. I imagine there's been times where you've uh, backed off or hidden or maybe been slight poison and then orange juice or I don't know. Um, what have you learned about yourself? Oh, look, I, you know, um, yeah, look, I think you, you learn a lot. I mean, the, the, the first and biggest one is that you can sustain a lot. Um, I, I, I've learned that I'm, I'm generally fairly optimistic about things, that I'm strong, stronger than I think I am. Um, and I've also learned to trust myself a lot more over the years. Um, that, that I, you know, as you get older, you sort of tend to, I think if you're self-aware, you tend to notice that your gut is actually right more than you give it credit for. I'm much better at speaking up for and acknowledging those feelings and saying, I can feel this and, and then actually acting on it. For example, selling certain things at the right time. Like I got involved in cryptocurrency for a while and then I, I, was, I made quite a bit of money and I was like, I'm going to have a closer look at this. And my gut just said, something is wrong with this, right? It just the profits and the money that is being made is just wrong. It just, and it's hard when you've just got made a bunch of money to go, you know what, I'm going to go. And everyone's talking about talking it up. It's going to go to the moon. Why would you sell now? It's going to go to a million dollars. I said, I'm out. And a week later, boom, it just evaporated, you know. And if I was younger, I, I wouldn't have, I know I wouldn't have made that call, you know. So knowing when to hold them, knowing when to fold them, those kinds of things come with experience, knowing when you're on a dead horse, um, 
you know, those things come with having made and lost and not just having made. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think I've, I've just learned now that I'm, I'm actually quite a good judge of timing and I'm a good judge of people, but only because I've had to experience the bad in both, you know. Um, and so do yeah. you have any practices or habits now to help you uh, listen to your intuition or help keep you balanced or prevent sort of the anxiety panic from getting out of control? What, what do you do now to, to look after yourself in that way? So I don't drink caffeine. So I cut out, I cut out all caffeine. Um, I eat very healthily, um, which is great. I, I, uh, I live in a very stress-free place, as I showed you earlier. I live right on the sand. Um, yeah. This is my happy place. Like if I'm far from the ocean, I feel it. So I've learned over the years that the very spot in which you live is important. And what I mean by that is you can live in the town I'm living, but if you're three streets back, it is a completely different experience to living right where I'm living. Living in Los Angeles, I learned to live in the middle of large city blocks because I couldn't live near the edges because they were too noisy. Um, like I'm that sensitive to noise and disruption and so on. So I've learned to be very, very particular about uh, energy and placing myself in a place that feels high vibe and good to me. Um, I meditate most days um, uh, and I'm just very self-aware around stress. So I get massage um, as often as I can, uh, eat really well, don't have any caffeine, try to sleep um, well, and um, yeah, I just look after myself a lot better than I did prior to having these issues. So you prioritize your own physical health and, and your mental health in order to uh, keep you working at the level that you are. Yeah, and I read a great book as well, I think everyone should read, called The Untethered Soul. If you haven't read that, I think you'll love it. It's amazing. Yes. What did it What did it teach you? Oh, just so much about how we are basically like a, a sieve in a river and the trick is to let it run through us rather than letting blockages accumulate and, and hanging on to shit and letting it build and letting it form part of our personality. Um, just, just, you know. Let it go, man. Let it flow. Let it flow. Um, which we have to acknowledge is very hard when you're a, an entrepreneur, because really you feel like it's all the pressures on you. You've got to drive forward. You've got to push. And for me, it can sometimes come in. Let me control the outcome. Let me, let me think 10 steps ahead so that I know what's coming next. And that can add to that cortisol, that stress hormone kind of coursing through our body. And so that lesson around, if we look after ourselves, nurture our intuition, meditate, as you're saying, um, actually let go, like it's counterintuitive, but let go of some of that control and, and just kind of flow with it as that, as that book describes, we can actually enjoy the journey a little bit, right? And, and learn about ourselves rather than kind of holding on so uh, desperately to the outcome that we think should happen. A hundred percent agree. And look, sometimes when you're, especially if you're early in the journey, you might be holding onto a piece of shit of a business, you know, or a piece of shit of a relationship and you're hanging onto it just so tightly because you've got this little mantra over here of Tony Robbins saying, never quit, never give up. And you're like, actually, that might be a good idea in this case. <laughs> I love um, that you say that because we need a little bit of intuition about our self-help gurus as well, I think. Because there's, totally. right? there's so much noise out there. There really is. And as much as I'm with you, like I listen to positivity, 
I, I realized when I was getting stressed that I, there was noise on all the time. Like any walk I went, I was driving, it was a podcast, it was, some, it was something that was teaching me something to the extent that I was never in qu- quiet space to just kind of nurture my own uh, kind of voice and uh, energy and like listening to myself because yes, they're all right, but they're speaking from their experience, right? And so we've got to be able to pick and choose the things that actually fit with the direction that, that we're going in. Super, super important. And they're not always right as well. Just right. because it's in a book or they're on a stage doesn't mean they're right. And what's right for one is not right for all. And you really do need to know who you are and, and where you're skating towards in life. And for some people, it, it, some, some of it out there, it's, it's really quite dangerous there is a, a strong case for pessimism to manage pessimism or, you know, being objective in what you're doing. And in business for the longest time, I, I always thought it was about working hard, being disciplined, all that alpha male bullshit. And then I'd look over there and there's some dumbass who's just slaughtering my results. And I'm like, what gives, man? He doesn't even know who Tony Robbins is and he's making 10 times what I'm doing. And I learned he's just doing something better. It's a horse race and I'm riding a dog. I'm riding it well. I'm an awesome jockey, but I'm still on a dog. So sometimes in life, you're just on a dog and you need to be able to step back and have that self-awareness and be okay with it and just go, oh, shit, that's a dog. <laughs> and, and learning that lesson, having a laugh at yourself and then creating some new rules. And it's the same in relationships, right? You know, like you're in a, a bad relationship and sometimes you try everything and it's like, this is just not right. And then you, you, next time you go through, you hopefully have a better you know, idea of what you're looking for, those qualitative things that you were talking about. You look for guys um, that, have, that have had some actual real shit happen. Otherwise, they're just, they're not balanced. You know, they're, they're not mature. They don't have that, you know, same with me in dating. So it's, it's those kinds of things that you learn as you get older. You, you just get better at it. But you, you have to be prepared to entertain the possibility that you may actually just be in a bad business or a bad relationship. It may not just be you. It may be, you know, do you maybe think, someone else. I just I want to, um, this is totally off theme, but do you think entrepreneurs find it difficult to date or to be in relationship <laughs> long term? Because <laughs> we have to say we're pretty uh, challenging people at times. <laughs> I'm looking over at my girlfriend right now to see what she's got to say. <laughs> I should ask her, is he difficult to live with? I should ask her. Well, it's great, you know, because the the lady that I'm dating right now is is not an entrepreneur, and it was kind of my one of my rules is not to date an entrepreneur because, um, I you know I don't want to come home and be solving problems <laughs> with someone else. They got so much shit going on. So she's what I call a civilian. So she goes a nine to fiver, and um, and it works really well. Um, it is it is tough, but it depends where you are. I mean, I'm at a point now where I'm sort of. Um, my businesses are running a little bit less without my intensity and I'm winding down just a little bit. Um, but I think if you're in your 20s and 30s, it could be impossible, you know, um, to, to date another entrepreneur. It's just it's insane. Wow. Especially if you're yeah, it's high, it's high print things, you know, or date at all, you know. I didn't date for the last three years. I, we, we've been dating for six months. But um, prior to that, um, I didn't date at all because the, the growth of the business was just too intense. I just did not have time to properly date a woman. Which does add to the feeling of, of loneliness sometimes, of isolation, of 
we're in this by myself. Um, yes, you might have a team, but if you're the guy at the top, then you've got to know everything. And it's really hard to find that, that community or connection. And I think that's the part people don't always talk about. They, they do the Mark Zuckerberg, like everyone's got ladies around and pizza and working on their laptops and it's so cool. And, and, and the reality is often you're by yourself on your laptop or you're out doing, making decisions on your own and you really have to cultivate uh, that trust within yourself, as you said. I mean, but the growth uh, journey around it, which feels really tough, is actually amazing as far as reaching our potential uh, and adjusting in, in that way. Um, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self or to a guy who's just going, maybe I do want that freedom and, and maybe I want to hustle? Like, what, what advice would you give to that person uh, looking back? First of all, if you want it, you should definitely go after it because it's a, it's a life worth having. You know, I have an amazing life now as a result of it. And not, I'm not talking about the stuff I have or the money I have or any of those things. I'm talking about who I became through the journey, I like who I ended up being, you know. So I, I think it's, it's cool from that perspective. The advice I give, that I give most to young people who are on this journey is make failing okay um, and have a great deal of respect for money um, because uh, and people, money and people, and be nice to people on, on your way out because well, on your way down you might meet them again. <laughs> so... Um, so those are always things that I look look for in young people. If, you, if I see a young person who's got that ambition and that drive and has a good, healthy respect for people and other people's money as well as their own, those are really good hallmarks. But just remember you've got time. It takes time, you know, real, genuine success. You, the problem is that these days, Fast Company is only going to put Mark Zuckerberg on the cover. He's not going to put the guy in who's got a, a company doing $10 million a year, making $2 million a year profit. That's boring. But that guy's have an amazing business. That's an incredible result. That if somebody achieves that, it's amazing. But then nobody reads about those guys or those girls, and there's lots of them that are doing 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, and at 10, 20%, 30, 40% margins. So young people tend to get polarized by the Mark Zuckerberg story, the founders of Uber, the founders of Airbnb. And it's either where they are or where they are. And that's it. There's nothing in the middle. But there's a lot of fun and fulfillment and awesome living to be had in the middle. Absolutely. Um, so if people want to, to connect with you or hear more about you, where can they find you? Just go to our website at reliable.education. So it's one of those funny domains with no.com. So just reliable.education, the full word. And that's where our core business is. And then we have a software company and other stuff. But just start there. And um, also Instagram. I do Instagram. I do free uh, rants most days where I'll just rant five or ten minutes on the way to the office about what's happening in my life as an entrepreneur. They're very raw. They're very real. Um, yeah. And people seem to love those. And I do them most days of the week. And it's totally free. Just Adam Hudson official. And you can come and follow me there. Lovely. Um, and so what does Reliable Education help people do? It helps people build reliable income from Amazon businesses. So launching their own private label product on Amazon. So yeah, all over the world. Our, our students now in three and a half years have done half a billion dollars in sales, uh, making us one of the most successful courses on the planet. Um, and uh, the reason that is, is we, we tell the truth about what's ahead and how hard it is and what exactly to do. So um, we have a great community and um, it's, a, it's an awesome fun. So helping people build businesses that bring additional reliable income into their home. Amazing. Um, and so finally, 
what excites you about the future? You've, you've, got, you've been doing so many things. You seem like you've achieved the dream. You're there on the beach. You got your fabulous girlfriend. You've got growth, man. Everything, you've, you've, you've made it, right? What excites you about the next sort of five, 10 years? Um, I've got a whole bunch of things that I want to do that are not related to business. So, you know, things like I'd love to live in New York City for six months um, and not work. Just maybe work one day a week, but really just be in the city and I want to, I've got an interest in art and, um, and a whole bunch of other things that I want to delve into more. So I'm looking forward to sort of exploring some of those things. We're hoping to travel a lot more and um, travel well, um, uh, you know, actually stay in, you know, the, the coast of Italy for a month or two and stay in an Airbnb and really get to know the spot rather than traveling around like a tourist. So we've got some really nice travel things that we want to do. We've got some stuff we want to do with our charities. We just bought an eye, a mobile eye surgery clinic um, out of our business. We just donated it was a quarter of a million dollar gift that we gave them to do more eye surgeries. So we do that a lot and I get so much joy out of going there and actually being there with the villagers as they go in and they get their eyes back. They get to take the patches off and they've got their vision again, which is just so emotional and soul-filling. Um, and I've got a few business projects that I have interest in that I'm mentoring young people that I'm yeah, in their early 30s um, that are past the bullshit stage of the 20s, they're ready to go forward in their 30s so that they're sort of on their way in their 40s. So just having my um, influence in those businesses. And that's really it at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really in a great place and very happy and um, life's great. Sounds, sounds fulfilling. Adam, thank you so much for your time. We'll add your, your website and your Instagram into uh, the, the show notes. And uh, I appreciate talking to you. I always learn from these conversations where I get validated a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in the right place. The journey is hard, uh, but, but and it's amazing and the growth is amazing. And so it's amazing to see kind of the journey that you've been on that is still, you know, but that I imagine you don't take things for granted either. Uh, because you have had the dips and you go, let me like enjoy this fully while I can, because actually you never know what's, what's in the future. Would, would that be fair to say? That is the key to happiness right there. It is not hiding on the other side of a Lamborghini or a million dollars in the bank. It is just getting up in the morning and being deeply grateful for what you have. And anybody watching this, if they're watching it on a smart device, chances are they're probably rich by world standards. You know, that's why I do the charity work. It's just such a profound realization of how blessed I am as a human being, even before I had any real business success. We're just so lucky and we just forget it all the time. Um, I so, yeah. agree more. Fulfillment comes from giving back and true and deep connections, as well as, of course, from, from the business side of things. But it can't just be about money. It's about uh, being alive and connecting to, to every part of, uh, of that, as well as the, the challenges of growth. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through PetraBelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.